0: Hello, I'm Neil Atkinson, and this is one of the Anfield Rap shows uh, on matters around Hillsborough Law, uh, also known as the Public Accountability Bill. This one is with Steve Pearce. Uh, he is from Labrats International. If you type that into any search engine, you'll find that, and you can obviously find it the same way through uh, social media and so on and so forth. It's about what happened uh, in the 1950s around the UK, Atomic Veterans. Um, within that bits and pieces of this are first and foremost really rather harrowing you don't have to listen to these things to be crystal clear you can pick your moments when you want to listen to these things um you can choose not to listen to all of them you can choose to listen to different parts i think it's a really important detail that people don't have to put themselves through things um what i found difficult doing the interview is that when i say people don't have to put themselves through things Steve has had to put himself through this for all of his life and at times he, he describes things in a really rather calm way and then i come back on ridiculously incredulous uh, because this is Steve's life and this campaign has been um, so much of his life and 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 the wider ramifications of it have been so much of his life. And then someone like me sort of bumbles in and goes, tell me about all this and goes from there. I'd obviously done research before this, but hearing certain sentences come out of people's mouths, you're almost left sort of incredulous and then remembering other things that you've read and I'm wanting to probe on that. My point about this is that I, you know, uh, on this interview feel as though I just repeatedly sound just a little bit Shocked and stunned and also just a little bit on top uh, so I apologize for that as well uh, as you're going through I really do uh, because it it was just the sort of the nature of the of the conversation and the ramifications of it and what it says about so many aspects of our lives um, Steve's done remarkable work as as everyone in the lab rats international uh, basis for all of this um, and now the part of the, the the campaign to bring in uh, the public accountability bill and um, enough of me i'll pop back in at the end uh, i suspect and, and and put some more information out there of, of things that you can uh, do to help and to support uh, but for now um it was done in a cafe in chester so there's a little bit of noise in the background but hopefully you'll find that absolutely straightforward and be able to deal with it but i'll say again uh, just another warning you do not have to listen to this don't feel as though it's some sort of completist thing or any of that uh, wherever you're coming from whatever angle you're coming from just make sure you're in the right frame of mind as part of our ongoing conversations around Hillsborough Law, I'm joined by Steve Pearce, part of the Labrat campaign, uh, who has his own story to tell. Uh, I've heard Steve speak twice. Uh, we are in Story House in Chester, uh, having met up to do this interview and this conversation. I have had the luxury of hearing Steve speak twice. You yourself, the listener, almost certainly won't have done. Uh, we'll talk about how the campaign is backing uh, what's called the Hillsborough Law or the Public Accountability Bill, depending on your point of view, uh, towards the end. But we'll start off getting Steve himself to tell his own story with his involvement so far in the many campaigns um Steve in a sense the floor is yours as I said before I've heard just a couple of times about everything that's happened a to you and b to the campaign in a wider sense this is something that has been part of British public and secret life since the 1950s
1: definitely um I think for the most part most people don't know about what happened with the British nuclear testing program um and most people assume that if you ask a how many nuclear weapons have been detonated on planet Earth, they would say two. One in Hiroshima, one in Nagasaki. But the Americans have detonated over 1,000. Uh, the Russians, 700. And the UK has detonated 45 nuclear weapons, all in the name of testing to get their perfect weapon. Um, my involvement, really, has been through my dad. He was one of the 22,000 service personnel who served on the British... Nuclear testing program. My dad went to Maralinga in South Australia where they tested uh, many, many weapons um, in two separate operations called Operation uh, Buffalo, where four weapons were detonated, and Operation Handler, where three weapons were detonated. And to give you an idea of the size, the Hiroshima bomb was 15 kilotons. Uh, Operation um, Buffalo their largest weapon was 15 kilotons. But Operation Antler, 26. So these are not just small tests, these are twice the size of city devastating bombs. Um but they do no harm, do they, according <laughs> to the government. Um so yeah, my dad was in South Australia after these weapons been detonated, uh, when they did uh, all those six hundred what they called minor trials, but they were kind of they sound quite small and harmless but they were the most toxic of all the tests that were ever done and bear in mind it was done on the same land that had seven nuclear weapons exploded on it so it's quite a contaminated area and they still had service personnel um don't know how to daily business um living their life and amongst all this radiated desert um i mean to give you an idea what the minor trials were and what the part when Dad was there, because he was there towards the end. They were trying to simulate what would happen if an aircraft carrying a nuclear weapon were to crash. So it can't fire. So their, their idea was, let's just chuck a load of TNT against a nuclear warhead and just blow it up and see what happens. Whoa. They were trying, yeah, it sounds, it sounds reckless because it kind of was. Um, and they were doing this, they were trying to blow up plutonium, polonium, beryllium... All this kind of stuff. And uh, also to look at the dispersal. And of course, you put a load of TNT against something like that, it's gonna disperse. And it's gonna go in the desert. It's uncontrolled. Um, there's talks of 200 foot jets of multipletoni plutonium squirting into the air, and then just dispersing the wind. And yet they claim it's all safe. Uh, <clears throat> the idea that there can be a contaminated area and an uncontaminated area was also one that was, uh, was told. And they said that the, they had a wire fence, a single-strand wire fence, not even a wooden fence. And they said this separates the contaminated area from the non-contaminated area. Bear in mind, this is fine sand in the desert with wind. And it's the sand that was radioactive. So, of course, this sand was blowing in their face, in their food, in their Land Rover in their clothes in the place they they slept they were literally just covered in radioactive sand so there was no escape and then a lot of the men came home for the lot got really sick my dad was kind of one of the lucky ones he did have a slight condition on his legs later on in life and when he went to the dermatologist question was have you lived most of your life in the tropings? But no, or well, oh it said I have been to Australia for one year, and he went, no, no, this is a lifetime's sun radiation damage. this He I mean, was only there for one year, so he did definitely get radioactivity on him, and I mean it's not surprising because the areas he was in were all controlled as well, and I have read a lot of stuff, including things like um after the nuclear weapons were detonated, men were ordered to march through Ground Zero. And men were ordered to fly their planes through the working cloud. Um, And this was without protective gear because there's an M.O.D. document that Labras has um, which states quite clearly that the the government is interested, the military defence, is interested of the effects of nuclear weapons on men, And materials. Men both protected. And unprotected. And it's a classified document. So it's in black and white. They wanted to know the effects of radiation on unprotected men. And that makes them guinea pigs. To basically a state controlled experiment. Which cost many of them their lives. Um, I mean that's no longer with us now. Um, But like I say he was one of the lucky ones. There's so many men of... Had a life filled with cancer. Their wives have had many, many miscarriages, um, and a lot of children are born like myself with disabilities. There's there's ten times the rate of birth defect in the children of descendants than there is in the natural population, uh, and yet the government says that's not. That's just life. That's chance. Well, it's not. The figures don't, I don't. You cannot ignore the stats like that. But that's why we're fighting. Because my life's completely different, And I've got to fight for my son. Because rightly or wrong, I'd always said, I'll never have a child. I don't want to pass this on. that's ridiculous. Why would anyone do that? And of course I met her wife and got married. And we did decide, as I say, rightly or wrongly, have a child. Um it feels like a kind of blank kinetic washing roulette with his life. Um but luckily he's he's fine. He has got a tooth condition which is quite common amongst his descendants. Mm-hmm. Um but other than that he's fine for now. But what's to come in the future? A lot of the problems that happen to the children happen in adolescence, and then of course is the rest of his life. So how old is his son now? He's Two years and four months, so he's still quite young. um Obviously, there's also an increased risk of infant mortality. I it's, when I looked up, actually runs to 18, so there's still all these worries are kind of on your shoulders. That, you know, it is your son going to die? And that's that's a horrible thing to think about because I brought him into the world knowing there was a possibility. Um, so. Living with things like that is difficult, but you have to do it. We've got to. Yeah, you just got to get through life. Um, but it is. It's like it's quite traumatic. Um, even when my wife was pregnant and we went to the scans, these were things that like a normal everyday dad would think was a wonderful moment. I was terrified. I was. I was badgering the uh, radiographer saying. Eh? Are his limbs okay? Are they are they long? They're the right length? Does everything look fine? And it's to yes, yes, fine, fine, fine. Um, and you're like, oh, thank goodness for that. Then when he's born, he's kind of we're looking at him, thinking, carrot's toes, you know, and to grab. Is everything right? Is everything there? And like, yes, he's fine. Um, but every headache gets, or every time he's crying, I'm thinking, hmm, is there something wrong? And it's just, it's an exhausting burden, um, mm-hmm. and it's. It's traumatic,
0: to be honest. When you say it's traumatic and when we take the sort of the long sweep of this right the way through your life, mm. rather than, you know, building up to the reality of the the, the, the fact that you now have your son with yeah. all the pressure marks that hang over that, that's a long, long period of trauma. And what strikes me as, as a difficult part of this, in the the context of, of Hillsborough Law, but also in the context of your life, is... This question around what we do or don't think is candidate. What we do or don't think is information that people should or shouldn't have. Yeah, information with which you can make decisions, informed decisions. Ideally, are far better than informed decisions. Getting information and the battle to get information is a massive part a of the campaign, but also just b of your lived reality. Is that fair?
1: Exactly. Exactly. I mean, one of my conditions is undiagnosed, uh, which is my main short stature. I believe there is over two hundred forms of short stature in the world. Mine is unique. Now uh, that's all I've been told. To so no one else likely, I'm unique. Um, so there is always that thing of mind a diagnosis. Mm. All I've been told is it's a genetic mutation. Um, so what we want is our blood records that we know were taken from our dads and grandfathers um, while they served, because we've seen the orders that blood tests and urine tests. Must be taken regularly from the service personnel, especially I know it exists in Maralinga where my dad was. But well, can you get hold of them? Yeah. No. Um, now I think we need them so we can start making. Well, we will we'll know what our dad's what our dad's blood and urine contained. We'll know what was they were exposed to, and that can help with research, which is what a big part. But I, I have tried many times to get information out of the MOD about that and they they dodge and dive we, we've all tried all our community have tried um <clears throat> they will say things like there are no records was never taken Eurion was never taken and then a bit later on they'll say well we did have some records but we don't know where they are they've been moved and we don't know where they are now and then they'll come back a bit later and say no there's no there were never, never, any records to begin with um, or they'll just come out with, I've got the records, but you're not having them. It's a point that refusal. And the citing of from 1991 law, which uh, is irrelevant because I can prove a medical reason why I need those records, which in the law states if there's a medical reason why this information might be relevant, uh, then the information could be given. But,
0: nerve, not happening. <laughs> I'm still fighting them. Part of this, which, again, to use the long-sweep part of this, is oh, I think a lot of these conversations end up in people's minds being five-party political, yes. whereas a crucial detail of this, and there is obviously hope currently that things could change if there, yep. is, if there is a change of government, but a crucial detail of this worth pointing out is that this fight has been ongoing, whichever political party's been in charge, that that in the past hasn't actually led to there being any sort of marked change. That's the, the truth of... You, your fellow campaigners, that that, that hasn't, that. It, if I say transcends, it almost sounds like a positive. It, it does the opposite of transcend whatever whatever political stripe's in charge, and that's why what you're talking about and what you want to change is a matter of culture, not just the idea of political outlook, and, and getting cultural change is a massive thing that the campaign's about.
1: Definitely, definitely. I think um, a lot of the governments, I mean, successive governments have not played ball and have um, denied us all sorts but a lot of them are getting their information to the Ministry of Defence and that's who we have to change because it's as if they control the government mm. they uh, they tell the government they mislead the government which we know they've done uh, they've told things that aren't true to the government um they've they've done all sorts to prevent us getting the information it just seems that the government do what the Ministry of Defence say so it's about breaking that power that the Ministry of Defence hold and making them accountable at the end of the day because they know the truth, they've got the truth, they've got the records and it's about time they started giving up some of these records because the families out there have gone to be decades of this kind of trauma and they just need answers because it will help.
0: But when we think about that culture, to go all the way back again to the very start of this process, it was the idea that these men, they were all men, these men were expendable. You said before about guinea pigs, so therefore, mm-hmm. the idea of sort of a lived reality that goes on for an extended period, effectively, the families of guinea pigs, is is what this turns into. I think that, the, you know, the, the idea of changing a culture that had decided all the way back in, in the 1950s that expendability was a factor is, it's a remarkably difficult thing to change. And simultaneously, it's something that self-sustains within the institutional knowledge of the Ministry of Defence, and that really feels as though it will be the, the, the biggest challenge if there's a change of government for your campaign, for the many campaigns, remember to have the of our contaminated blood, that the, these these internalised cultural practices that exist in these institutions that are part of government, but almost as you say, separate to or dominating of it. It's a really difficult thing, isn't it? Like you, you can... You can get lost in this, or you can yep. you can feel as though it's just it's just going to be perfectly straightforward, like the flicking of a switch. Yep. But it's it's stuff that's been reinforced over and over and over again in in many different areas, not just in the, in, in the area that your campaign touches on.
1: Yeah, the idea of expendabilities is definitely a cultural one that I think still exists because the men were definitely expendable, and the, the concerns of their family are ignored as if. We're expendable as well. Yeah. We're just almost an extended part of the experiment. Yeah, absolutely. And that feels immoral. It's, you know, like you say, it's, it goes across parties, not a political issue, but it is a, it's a human issue, it's a moral issue. And I think the government needs to A, take account, and B, start issuing some apologies, and actually I'm sticking their hands up and saying we will make this right. Because there's, you only have to look at some of the children that are born, like my son, and say he don't deserve this. He's not expendable. I mean, they're human beings at the end of
0: the day. And you, I mean, yeah. While you are part of the campaign, i yeah. have been part of the campaign, you shouldn't talk yourself out of yeah. that, that, that facet of it. You, you must feel a genuine resentment to that process. Yeah, on yeah. a yeah. continual basis.
1: Yeah, because the feeling is that the government do not care, and the Ministry of Defence couldn't, couldn't give a monkey's whether you know I, I lived or died. It's I'm always, i a tick tick box, and they'll just. Look at the stats go. Oh, he's gone. That's interesting. Uh, we're just a bit of data too. Mm. Uh, we're not people. We're not humans. Uh, and I don't. I don't know how they can live with themselves when they're constantly batting off our requests for help. I mean, the government is supposed to help its citizens. The Ministry of Defence is there to protect and serve its citizens, and they're not. They're working against us. And there's that feeling is one, it's difficult to get your head around. The very people that are supposed to have our back they say they will protect this country are actually A, they've experimented on their own people and B, they're not, they're not raising their hand and they say, actually, we've got this role. Uh, we, know, we know harm was done. We're sorry. We'll do what we can to help. They're not, they just say, it never happened. It's just
0: a denial. When, when that denial comes in the way in which it comes, that denial, uh again just to contextualize it for listeners who may know very little about the campaign the idea of the data that's on your side the reality of the the birth defects suffered the reality of what happens the men the cancers that they got for them to fly in the face of the evidence of the data that you have again it's i almost struggle for the words around it really because if i say frustrating you know not getting the right thing when you order in a cafe is frustrating the idea of that this is denied ignored you're almost, well not almost, you're being lied to, explicitly lied to, in the face of people's lived experiences and the testimony of the men on whom the experiments exactly. occurred. You know, that is, it's at, a, it's, at a, it's at an enormous level. And then simultaneously, there's also, there has been an acknowledgement process in, for example, the United States, yeah. that such experimentation did occur, including in one or two instances I read something when I was researching this on on British servicemen, but in the United States as well. It seems as though that to be, at every turn, effectively told all these things that you know, they are just simply not true, yeah. is... Not only does it sort of stop you from being able to get beyond the moment that you're all living in, but it, it makes the moment that you're all living in, it means the trench that everyone's in is even deeper.
1: Yeah. And you, the feeling of isolation globally is... is unpleasant, because... Every nuclear power on Earth has acknowledged the harm done to its to its servicemen and civilians and scientists by the testing of nuclear weapons apart from the United Kingdom. And we are the only superpower globally that is denying this. I mean, as you you said, the RECA program in America um, is great. It it compensates for illnesses from the um, nuclear tests, including if you were if you were British, but serving in America on the tests, you qualified. So if you've got one of the illnesses on the list, you qualified. You fill in a form, you get your money. Um, you have to, And I think even the of man government has compensated nu- British nuclear test veterans. The Fiji Islands have compensated British nuclear test veterans. The United Kingdom government does not. And that is... I mean, how can... How can we hold our head high as a nation and say we're an impassionate nation when everyone else is acknowledging this apart from Britain? It just doesn't
0: sit right at all. There's been some forms of acknowledgement recently. You've had recent meetings. There's been the all Look Me in the Eye campaign, yeah. which has elicited some success. And again, this is with um i think boris johnson um uh, you've worked with other politicians i've you know seen uh, the work done with, with obviously because they're being integral to the whole public accountability campaign but steve rotherham and andy burnham as an example but there's the politicians beyond that and this, this again is that the cultural point that i think is, is just really important to keep returning to that individual politicians up to and including a serving prime minister there's been a form of acknowledgement from but there is not acknowledgement from the Ministry of Defence. There's been acknowledgement of the entire situation for the Fiji Islands and the Isle of Man, but not from the Ministry of Defence. And I think this is, again, for listeners who may be hearing a lot of this information for the first time, this idea that whilst there is, and there are elected politicians, there are elected people who can make these acknowledgements, there remains this, this institutional body that acts as a block to you getting information about blood samples, to you get acknowledgements, to you getting research, to things that offer succor in a practical sense, but also offer succor in a yes, this thing happens sense. I, I that to me, the whole thing seems such a mess of contradictions. In amongst all of that, but again, that must be almost practically difficult to to comprehend on a day to day basis.
1: Yeah, you're right. Because I mean, when we we sat down with Boris Johnson, I was in that meeting. Um, he was the first prime minister out of twenty five prime ministers. Uh, to have ever even met us. Um, and we, we thought, he listened to us, he was genuinely surprised at what we told him. Because um, he turned to one of his people and said, how come I don't know anything about this? Uh, we told him about the records we are trying to get hold of. Um, and, and he was, he genuinely said, he wanted to help, which was great. Um, but then he had a bit of an issue and got, um, and removed from host, shall we say. But on his last day, he wrote the letter strongly supporting us to, to his his successor um, now it was to say what would happen if Boris sort of stayed in as Prime Minister uh, but you get the feeling that the Prime Minister can sit in a meeting and say this is really bad I'll do what I want, you know to help. I'll do what I can to help you but then you come out and you're kind of still faced with the say banging your head against the wall so slight things change, you still can't get still can't get the information at the Ministry of Defence it seems that they're more powerful than the Prime Minister and that's role it really really role where, where the head of the government is saying I want to help you but then nothing happens well things did happen but one of the things that he said he wanted to sort out doesn't happen and that's a real big one for us medical records
0: the medical records then to sort of touch on it how important it will be let's be clear about this this is a live thing you've talked about your yes. son but there are survivors who've been born without birth defects yes. uh so relatives who relatives born without be a birth defect but who must feel in a similar position to you yeah the idea to move on forward with lives with children of their own and so on because of the nature of the the testing and the genetic damage that's done that this is this is something which until those medical records are there that burden can't be lifted. Like yeah. that, this is this is an ongoing thing. This is this is affecting people on a day to day basis now. This is not a piece of history.
1: Yeah, I mean, there, there was a there was a feeling that the government or the Ministry of Defence were waiting for the veterans to die because then that problem would go away. But what they haven't banked on is the descendants, and we know that there was a conservative estimate done that the genetic fallout youths through generations is going to last two hundred years. So you have got not. ...a problem that's going away... ...you've got problems getting bigger... Yeah, ...because I know of... ...descendants who are perfectly able-bodied... ...very very healthy... ...terrified to have children... ...because they know... ...that their father-stroke grandfather... ...served on a nuclear test... ...and there is a real chance... ...that they could... ...their children could be affected... ...and that is... ...like I said... ...it's a growing problem... ...not going away... And, ...and neither are we... ...we're not going away... ...um... And so yeah this is not this is a cultural problem Yeah, agreed but it's also one that's going to go long into the future and so we need to change the culture so that the future generations get the help and support they're going to need because right now if you go to a doctor and say I've got this uh, I've got this complaint," um, and my father was at the nuclear tests they'll shrug their shoulders and go don't know, don't know what you're talking about mm. if they will um You know anything about radiological illnesses no okay so basically the nhs is not geared up to help and ideally what we want is the research done the records released so we know as much information as we can let the scientists have a look at it so that going forward our sons and grandsons daughters and granddaughters can go to the doctor and say my grandfather father was a, a nuclear test uh, in Australia I've got this EQ and it sets off a process yeah go. alright you're one of these groups of people this is what we can do for you but at the moment nothing they just shrug up the shoulders look at you like you it's strange because they don't even
0: know the test happened there's there's the three points to the public accountability bill the first is the the idea of a public advocate yeah. now there's some relevance there in this yeah. there's the idea of the equality of arms which is a conversation but in this it feels as though just the key thing that everyone wants is that duty of candor yeah it feels that that is the the overwhelming part of this is the duty of candor yeah that that is the thing that firstly the cultural aspect that needs to change so there's practical applications and also the theoretical ones but the duty of candor it feels as though in public life is the key part here of yeah. what would help well 200 years frankly
1: yeah yeah definitely i mean peculiar candor kind of is a big one because We know there's been a lot of misinformation given, and we've listened to um, questions in Parliament being answered with misinformation. Mm. Now, somebody somewhere is not telling the truth, because you could even look at different questions being asked in the house at at different times, and they directly contradict each other. So someone's telling Porky, someone someone is withholding evidence. someone's withholding the truth. So this two-year candour would make it, would be onus on them to get it right, because if they don't, then the consequences are not going to be great for them. Um, and it's and it's also the right thing to do, because people deserve the truth. And that's all we really want, the truth.
0: As part of this, then, the idea of the potentially being a bill that can become law, it seems as though the most important thing your campaign is the idea that there isn't the attempt to make it time-limited or future-proofed in a way that stops the the backward looking because, to return to the point, this is a real-world, real-time problem that we can maybe discuss the idea that things that have happened 70, 80 years ago may well now how useful it would be for there to be candid around a couple of things. You can have that conversation. Oh. But in this instance, it seems to me it's really important to your campaign that there is the idea that this, because it is still affecting lives on a day-to-day basis, that anything cannot be severed away from where yeah. you find yourselves.
1: Yeah, that's true because it is an ongoing, an ongoing issue. I mean, yeah. You can say a long time ago things were done in Nevada and Australia and all Christmas Island and... They may be very sorry for this, and different people did different things, but when you bring it right up to modern day, some of the, as I will go back against the medical records, when we have got some medical records of uh, some veterans, when they've received them, they've got mistakes on them. They've got things redacted out of them. There's things that they've looked at and gone, this isn't even mine. It's got their name on it, but it's not it. Um, So when you look at something like that, Altering a medical record is a crime in the UK. So the duty of candor would help us with this. Because crimes are being committed by the MOD almost at will. And that is a, a hard one to live with. It's just infuriating because they're getting away with it. So we need we need that bill. We absolutely need it.
0: And um, that bill in terms of sort of wider applications, it's also, it's also built for the future. It's right in so many areas at the minute to, to use the duty of points around public of It would ease the idea of people being able to whistleblow where there's issues, but also more than that, just simply be able to get on record so there could be learnings. And I think that this is the bit that's sort of missed, you know, without getting proper learnings from things that go badly wrong because things are covered up, swept away, pretended that they never happened. In your instance, it feels at times downright lied about. Yeah. You you create a you create a culture which therefore never has to sort of self interrogate, and that's why you know when you try to think about all the ways in which the judiciary could be important, it's important for the future, full stop. Not just the idea of two years in your case, but for the idea of of, of the Brit- of British public life being able to learn and being able to learn and improve for everyone.
1: Yeah, because if you if you cover up, and if you sweep under the carpet, lessons don't get learned, and it, then it just becomes a. The cyclical events of of disasters in the future, of uh, miscarriages of justice in the future, and all these terrible things that kind of happen to innocent people and innocent families, and there's no lessons being learned. There really isn't. And sometimes you might get someone on the news that oh, lessons have been learned, but they haven't, because as you know, six months down the line, it will happen again, and they'll say lessons have been learned, and it will happen again. So unless we have something which kind of enforces, okay, learn the lesson then. What is the lesson? What went wrong? How are you gonna fix it? How are you gonna stop it in the future? And that's what the duty can do will help with.
0: Last little thing I want to ask you because your campaign is really interesting in the context of all the ones that I've looked at and I'm gonna go on to look at, because it's already a hugely collaborative international campaign, uh the rat campaign. It doesn't it doesn't focus solely on the UK at all. But as you said before, the UK is this outlier in comparison to other nations. In terms of the the work done around the the collaboration on the, the the Hillsborough law aspects, have you, in the context of your campaign, have you found it sort of useful the 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 idea of there being further support structures the seeing where these campaigns cross over one another and yeah. the commonalities? Has that been really useful?
1: It has because there's, I think, firstly the the biggest thing is you don't feel so alone. You don't feel as if you're just one campaign and you're the, you're the only person that's ever happened to. You know, you're just this little group of people who no one listens to because when you look at the, uh, the groups, the groups of people have come together to campaign the accountability bill. There's a of us. There's so many people who've had such injustices done to them, but yeah,
0: it's. It's. I, I find the number almost a bit terrifying. you know, like, in a way, I take your point. It, 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 no one wants to feel alone, or you don't want to feel. Uh, but when uh, sort of seeing these the, these things begin to amass themselves, and the fact that they're all from, you know, the last 60, 70 years, yeah. I'm sort of looking at them, thinking, I mean, who's got the how, how, who's got the time to be this for the, for for so for there to be so many of these? Yeah. And it, and it does make you wonder whether you know just exactly how rotten a lot of this is. Because without being bleak about it, I don't want to sound bleak. Cause I think the campaign and the campaigns coming together is a remarkable positive, and I think it is a hugely positive thing. I'm just sort of gobsmacked at times how... that there is, there is this many different groups who've had so many similar experiences and have so many lived realities in common now. It, it, it's staggering.
1: It is. It's frightening. And I think that in itself is the main reason why we should really be pushing this bill, because perhaps had we had a similar bill many years ago some of these groups would not exist because their injustice would never have happened yeah and i think that's the important lesson going forward because let's get this bill and let's stop this happening in the
0: future let's help the people that are
1: struggling now
0: and let's let's prevent more my last part of this just again the, the this notion of for me the other thing that's striking about it is that these campaigns they're already they're always made up of ordinary people who end up in extraordinary circumstances and that's in and of itself it's a it's all Campaigning at all i think that sometimes from the outside looking in people wonder if you know for it almost becomes for want of a better word a hobby this stuff isn't fun is it and no. i think that's the key thing this stuff is not fun it's firstly it's your day-to-day life but also secondly the idea of the work that's done around it it is a trade, yeah. and but all the other thing that these campaigns have got in common is it's ext- it's ordinary people who feel as though they need to do something because they don't know one else will especially not the government mm.
1: you're right um if anyone thinks it is something that we enjoy doing, it, it's not. Um, we do it because we're fighting. I, I, I at the back of my mind is always my son. I'm yeah. doing it, I'm doing it there. Um But it is exhausting. I mean, to go to London one day and Manchester the next day and, and basically open your heart and say, you know, say some quite emotional, emotionally draining things. And talking about my story is, sometimes it, I, it, it does affect me emotionally. Yeah. Um, Especially because it's my son and it's my lived experience. Um, So, yeah, it's. I wish I didn't have to do it. I really do. But I have to.
0: That's Steve Labrats. Neil, again, Uh, thank you very much to Steve for taking the time and taking us through all of that. Um, You can find that, as I said before, if you type LabRats International into any search engine, it will appear and it will come up. Uh, If you want to support in any way, shape or form, hillsboroughlawnow.org is the centralised idea of the campaign, uh, where all of these different campaigns are coming together uh, around how to oppose, stop and learn more around injustices that have occurred in the UK uh, and will go on to occur uh, in the UK. There's a Hillsborough Law event as part of the Labour Party conference uh, on Tuesday, October the 10th at 6pm in Nova Scotia you can still get tickets uh for that th- for the, that are all free uh, the public authorities accountability bill uh hillsborough or now whatever you want to put in it's in eventbrite so you'll find that in eventbrite.co.uk uh, if you want to get to that at 6pm uh in nova scotia which is underneath the building where the anfield wrap actually is in man island um so you can find that there um i'll be there uh, and there'll be other uh, campaign groups uh, as part of that as well and there'll be some keynote speakers on uh, the stage too so that is available uh, as well that is coming up um we'll continue to do it with the Anfield rap because we're in a position to do so. And we're fortunate to be in a position to do so where we can support and continue to cast light on these campaigns. We will continue to do so. We will continue to put the podcast out for free, obviously as well uh, as we go through, we ask you to share those. If you can support us in any other ways, then you, you know, the, there's lots and lots of information as to how to do that. But we also understand that a lot of people can't, uh, but do feel free to share this in any way uh, that you can. Uh, I think it's important that more and more people know the history of this, how it pertains to the Hillsborough Law campaign, uh, And what next steps hopefully will be. Uh, Thanks for listening. Bye.
1: Sports Social Podcast Network.